Good morning, dear church. I know y'all, y'all said goodbye to me like a, a few weeks ago. But uh, you know that uh, mold around your bathtub that just keeps coming back? That's me. So, you got some more mold to deal with here. Um, you know, I, I got to go twice to the Ukraine and be there when they opened up the boxes from Operation Children's Child. It was amazing. But I got to do that with a great pastor, Pastor Alex. And um, I just want to give you an update about Pastor Alex. Uh, he recently came down with COVID, and um, it was pretty bad. He even had to go to the hospital, and even right now, he's in the ICU unit. So uh, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads with me. We pray for Pastor Alex. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Pastor Alex. I thank you for his heart for you, and Lord, just his heart for the gospel and for the gospel to reach the people of his city of Kiev. And Lord, I just pray that you would just strengthen him in every way while he's right there in that ICU unit. I pray that you would strengthen his lungs, allow him to be able to breathe. Lord, allow him many more years to proclaim your gospel. And so, Father, watch over him, watch over his wife, Anya, and his two children. And we'll just continue to care for him. And God, watch over the church this morning, even too, as, as they're missing him and praying for him. And so, Lord, just continue to have your way to, to write a testimony of glory and grace in the way you're going to heal him and show others about who you are. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to find your way to uh, uh, Luke 18. And I'm going to start it in verse um, 9 once you get there. And uh, so as we find our way there, I just want to kind of mention that um, the first point or so of this sermon is going to be a little tough, okay? Um, I'm going to kind of beat up on you a little bit, and that's because as I studied this verse, Jesus was beating up on me, and so I'm just going to return the favor and pass it on to you, okay? So, but don't worry, Jesus kind of brings it all together. And uh, by the end, um, he brings us to um, his hope and his amazing grace that is incredible and overwhelming. And so I'm going to read from verse 9. And it says, he, that's Jesus, because he had already spoken before then, also told this parable. That's because right before this, he told a parable uh, about persistent prayer. And he said this to to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, Jesus is right up front with this parable. He tells us exactly what it's going to be about, right? And um, it's about people who thought they were righteous and showed contempt. Contempt means that you look down on other people because you think you're better than them you think you know more than them. And maybe you're thinking right now, oh, well, that's not me, so I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, I'm just kind of zone out. No. If, if you're thinking that, you're the very person who needs to be listening to this. So I believe Jesus has a word for all of us this morning. I'm starting from verse 10 again. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, Jesus is setting up a contrast, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee back then would have been someone who um, understood the Jewish laws and they kept them as impeccable as they could. 
and uh, everyone would have looked at them and thought of them as righteous, right? They, they were somebody who did everything right. It's kind of like, um, uh, I'm a thirdborn, and uh, maybe some of you also, you had like this um, ultra-compliant, behaved, older sister or brother, right? Mine was my sister. I was always, uh, why can't you be more like your sister, right? Obviously, we still, some of us have issues, right? But, but that's kind of what the Pharisee is like. Why can't you be more like him, right? That's what people would be thinking. And the, and the other side of it is the tax collector. The tax collector would have been the ultimate sinner because here's a Jewish guy who's going door to door and taking money from other Jews and giving it to an occupying nation, someone who is their enemy, and besides that, he'll take some extra money and put it in his own pocket. So that's the ultimate sinner. And so, and so that's the contrast. But um, we've all read our Bibles before, and we know that Jesus can actually hear the thoughts of the Pharisees, right? And we know all those times when he knows what they're thinking, and it, it's usually not good. So we all know that somewhere along the way, there's going to be a little bit of a twist to this story. And there is. But I want you to set that up in your mind first, just as if you were listening to Jesus for the first time when he was there. That the Pharisee represents someone who's righteous, and the tax collector represents someone who is the worst sinner you can imagine. And so I'm going to read from verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to explain something that uh, was said here. The, the, the ESV says that they went into the temple. All right. Um, a Pharisee, neither a Pharisee nor a tax collector is going to go into the temple. Okay? We think about they went inside the temple when it says they went into the temple. But they did not go into the temple. Uh, the only one who could go into the temple was a priest. And when they went in, they actually went into a courtyard that's called the Court of Israel, just outside the temple, the physical building of the actual temple. And, and that courtyard is where they would go twice a day to pray. So imagine, here's the, here's the, the Pharisee. He's standing probably up front, maybe other people around him, because remember, it's, it's prayer time probably, at least twice a day they would pray, so there's other people around. And the tax collector is kind of far off. He's off to the side. And uh, that's significant. We want to remember that. Now, here's something else I, 
I want you to remember. Not only are they alone, but um, in the Talmud, that's kind of um, the rabbinic teaching about Jewish law and customs. Uh, the custom for when a, a Jew prays is they need to pray out loud. I know it's a little different than us, but, but they are. When they pray, they pray out loud. And uh, the custom in law is that you need to pray out loud enough so that people can hear you. Otherwise, it's kind of like, remember the story about Hannah and Eli? That she's, her lips are moving, so he thinks she's drunk because he can't hear her. So that's part of it. So you have to speak loud enough when you're praying that you can hear yourself, and maybe people around you might be able to hear you a little bit too. And so I want you to think about that. The other is that, yes, they're standing. That's normal. It's normal that they're standing, but it's not normal that the, that the tax collector is standing far off. Okay? So, um, I want to show you a picture of the Wailing Wall. So, if we can show that. So, if you take a look here, um, this is going to be kind of a picture that we're going to pay attention to later. See how their heads are down? Because they're wailing, because the temple is gone. So their heads are down, and their faces are not turned up toward, Jesus, uh, toward God. They are turned down, and uh, they're like they're weeping. They aren't looking up. And if you can take the next picture, um, of course, this is the wailing wall. This isn't they're going into the temple, but, but there they are. The men are separated from the women, and so this, this would be what it would have been like to have been only men there. If you take a look at the next picture, um, they actually have prayers that they would recite. And so this young man, um, when I took his photo, he was standing there, and I could hear him reciting the prayers. And so that's what it looks like when they're at prayer. Um, so this is what I want you to imagine. Imagine a courtyard like that, just outside the temple, and the Jews are there, and they're standing, and they're praying, and they're praying out loud. And People that are around them can hear them, okay? So let's look at how the Pharisee prayed. Uh, first of all, I want to, the ESV suggests that he was actually standing by himself, if you look at it, because by himself and then a comma. In the Greek, there really is no comma there. The ESV translators did that as part of their translation. And many of the other things that I found from the other scholars, uh, the himself actually probably belongs with um, uh, him, that he was praying and not so much belonging to that he was standing by himself. Because remember, he's there, there it's prayer time, and Jesus makes a point to say that the tax collector is far off. So what we should really understand is that the Pharisee is there and he's standing and he's praying to himself. Okay? And so um, what I want to take a look at is um, from verse 11. Sorry, I lost my page. So the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, but really prayed probably kind of about himself. And he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector, okay? So what's he doing? He's comparing himself to, to the other people around him. And um, he's comparing himself to people that are obviously sinners. 
right? And as he does that, uh, you can kind of tell he's uh, looking down on those other people because he's not like them. And so he's being contemptuous. He's looking at them and looking down at them. And um, he thinks because they're sinners, maybe he's not so bad. He's not a sinner because he's not like them. And so he's convincing himself. But what he's doing, he's pretending. He's pretending that he's not a sinner. And so you can write this down. Stop pretending and performing. When he prays, he's, he's not saying this. God, I thank you. I, I thank you that, you know what? If, if I had faced the things that those people had faced, I probably would have done the exact same thing. I am just as capable of sinning as they are. But that's not what he's doing. He's saying, they have the capacity to sin, but I don't recognize my own capacity to sin. And so he's pretending that he's not sinful. And so what happens when we, when we look at others and we look at how sinful they are, we start to ignore and not see the sin that's in our own hearts. And so the more we do that, we make our sins so small that we no longer see it and we come blind to our own sin. I have a question for you. If you were to take some time and to examine yourself, would you say, oh, I, I don't see any sin that I need to confess? Because if you do, you're pretending. You're pretending that you're not a sinner. And you need to be honest with yourself. Because all of us need to daily confess our sin. That is, of course, unless you're perfect. Not, right? None of us are perfect. And so let's take a look at verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Well, he's talking about his performance, right? And notice that he said, I, five times in this whole prayer. He started, I'm not like the other people. I fast, I give, and I get. And I thank God that I'm not like other people. What he's really saying is, I'm pretty proud of the way I've turned out. And you know what? I'm sure that God's proud of me too. Right? That's what he's saying. He is so totally absorbed in his self that he thinks his godly performance makes him holy. What he's done is he's, he's taken God's holiness and minimized it to something that he can accomplish and do in his own life. He clearly has a wrong view of God's holiness and his identity before God. Now, Please hear me on this. This is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that all of the things that we do, all the righteous acts that we do, whether it's to read our Bible or to pray with someone's hurting or go to pray with someone who's ill, 
everything that we do, it's in the service of the Lord. When we do it with the right attitude and we're humble and we're doing it as an act of love to the Lord, then, then God graciously accepts that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I am saying is if you think you're doing it to be noticed by God or noticed by other people, then you're mistaken. Because here's the thing. In Christ, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then when God looks at you, he sees Jesus because his blood has covered you. And by faith in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees his son. And when God sees his son, he says, I love you. This is who I am well pleased with. And so if you are in Christ, when God looks at you, even with your junk, you know what? God says, this is someone I love. This is someone with whom I'm well pleased. So you know what? You can never do enough good works to make yourself look better before God than you already do. Because he's not looking at your good works. He's looking at what Jesus did for you. And you want to know the other good news? This is even better. Because of who you are before God, when he looks at you, there's nothing you can screw up that makes him love you any less because he sees Jesus when he looks at you. What I am saying too is though, when we focus on performance, that can lead to a religion of good works and the concentration on results and actions can be at the expense of taking a look and having a heart that's being transformed. The little Pharisee in each one of us wants to be numb to our sin and look at the sin of other people. Wants us to be hypersensitive of other people's sin and minimize ours. And then we want to get concerned about our performance because we think our performance makes us better than other people. And then it lies to us. It lies to us and lets us think that God's more concerned about our performance than he is about our heart change. And so I have a question. This Pharisee, when he was praying, he addressed it to God. But was he really praying? Or was he just talking about himself to himself? And then I need to ask myself, how many times do I come before the Lord to pray? And I address it to God, but I come there with my own agenda. I come with my agenda and I tell God what I want and how I want it and what it should happen like. And I'm not surrendering to God and God's will. Let's take a look at the tax collector now. And so I'm at verse 13. But the tax collector, the sinner, he stood far off. And um, I thought to myself, why is he standing far off? And I saved this till now because I want you to think about it. 
Why is he standing far off? I, I thought maybe because, you know, maybe because we're going to find out, you know, it said he's a sinner. Maybe he's humble. He wants to stand back and be away from everybody. But um, I, I have a friend who's a rabbi. So I asked my friend, I said, Rabbi, I want to show you something in the New Testament. I know, you know, it's not your book, but can you help me with something? I said, why do you think this tax collector is standing far off? And you know what? He had an answer right away. And I thought, wow, how did he have an answer right away? Because he knew exactly. And you know what it is? He said, the tax collector didn't want to be by the other people because he didn't want to hear them praying and talking about him. And isn't that what we've already heard? That the Pharisee was looking down and say, oh, I'm not like that tax collector? While he was praying, and, he would, and remember when the Jews pray, they pray out loud? So he could hear that. And so I think to myself, you know, here the tax collector is going to the very place he needs to be, the very place God wants him to be, to come and surrender himself about his sinfulness. And yet the people that are around him are making it so he doesn't feel welcome. The Pharisee looked around and he decided he was better than everybody else. The tax collector looked around and he decided he was worse than everybody else. He was worried that people were murmuring and gossiping about him, that he didn't belong in that holy place. And, and I think for us too, even as, as people of God, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of barriers do we put up so that when people come to us, that they don't feel welcome, that they don't feel accepted, because they too are the very people who need to hear God's word, God's gospel of salvation. They need to have encouragement. And so we need to recognize too that we're sinners and the people we see as sinners are no better sinners or worse sinners than us. We're all sinners. I want you to notice, too, the, the position of the tax collector. Um, his head was down, and um, he wasn't looking up to God, and his hands were not raised like we do. Instead, his, his, his face was hidden, his eyes were down, because he was hiding them from the Holy One, because he knew he wasn't holy. And then what does he do? He beats his heart. You know why he's beating his heart? Because for the Jews, they believe that the heart is the seat of where your sin is. And so it's like he was beating his heart. And, and the verb there, he's continuously beating his heart. And so this is a, this is a, a gesture of uh, punishment or contrition. And so you can write this down as well. Grasp the heights of God's holiness and the depth of my sin. We all need to do that. We need to, to set aside pretending and performing, and we need to realize how holy God's holiness really is, that, that it is not attainable by us, but we also have to realize the depth of our sin. And that, 
becomes more and more evident even as we get older. And perhaps we're not even sin as much as we used to, but if we are really maturing and coming closer to the Lord, we realize more and more how much we need to look like Jesus, how much we need to change. And so from verse 13, he wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, he identifies himself as a sinner. He's not pretending, he's not performing. But he is crying out for mercy because he knows he's a sinner. And uh, the word for mercy here is a a little unusual. Um, This isn't the usual word that's used for mercy in all the other places in the Bible except for one. And the only other place that this word for mercy is translated mercy from the Greek word uh, is also in Hebrews 2.17. And when that word appears in Hebrews 2.17, you know what it's translated as? Propitiation. Okay, that's a hard word, right? Propitiation. What in the world does that mean? Uh, That means that God is appeased. Uh, That means that the punishment that you deserve, God appeased it. So in other words, God's wrath on our sin is taken away. And so... He isn't just asking for mercy. He's asking for God to take away his sin. Who's telling this story again? Who's telling us this parable? Jesus. Jesus chose that word on purpose. Jesus wants us to know that that's how we need to come to him. We need to come to him not just asking for mercy, but asking for mercy knowing that, the, the, that we need to be punished for our sin. We, it's ours. We earned it. And yet we can cry out to him and he will appease it. He will take it away. He will cover our sin. And so this tax collector wasn't just asking for mercy. He was asking for salvation. And again, who's telling the story? Jesus. Jesus, the very one who would soon lay down his life, go to a cross so that his blood would cover the tax collector's sin. So that that tax collector's sin, our sin, by faith we would be forgiven and we would have eternal life in Jesus Christ. The tax collector isn't afraid uh, to let people see his brokenness, his mess. And uh, so that's why he comes in the open and he's willing to pray this in front of other people loud enough that they can hear it. And, and so it, it, first his prayer of repentance is toward God. And, and we know from Psalm 51, David says, it's against you, you only that I have sinned. And so Even though our sin affects other people, primarily our sin is an offense to God. And so this tax collector addresses God first about his sin. Uh, Second, he's beating his heart. Again, remember I said that's the seed of our sin? So he's beating his heart. He's realizing that his sin isn't just his actions. His sin comes from a heart attitude. 
And so I believe that's the next thing that we need to recognize. And then third, when he cries for mercy, his prayer of repentance is really a cry for salvation. It's a cry from deliverance from God, from the sin that he's committed and the wrath that, that he would deserve from that. And so I, I believe that gives us an example for ourselves too about how do we live a repentant lifestyle? How do we, each time we pray, take a look at ourselves and examine ourselves? First is we need to look at what we've done and realize that it's an offense to God. And then next, as we've done that, we need to be sorrowful. And that sorrow should lead us to a place where we want to look at our own heart and what it is that caused us to be that way, to, to do that sin, so that God can reach in and begin to change us. And then third, we need to remember that Jesus has saved us. And I don't, I don't care if you came to know Jesus yesterday or 50 years ago. We still need to remember, remember the gospel message that Jesus came and died for our sin in our place so that by faith we can be forgiven and have eternal life. And so the gospel is something we need to remind ourselves every day. It's not just something that happens when we believe. So I'd like you to imagine with me um, the Pharisee and the tax collector go to small group. Okay? So the Pharisee comes to small group and the Pharisee says, will you please pray for me? Pray that I would have consistent times with the Lord. Well, how many times have we heard that? Right? You know what? And, and I'll admit, I've even said it sometimes myself. Pray that I'll have consistent times with the Lord. But, you know, we say that so much, and it's just so general. It's like, if I hear it again, I think I'm going to puke. And you know what? And, and I give you permission. If somebody says that in your small group, oh, pray that I have consistent times with the Lord. I want you all to just puke. <laughs> just let them know, it, you know, that's just so bland, so general. It's really not saying anything at all. So that's what the Pharisee says when, when he or she goes to small group. But what the tax collector says is he says, forgive me for losing my temper. Pray that God would help me because I, I lost my temper with my kids. I lost my temper with my husband. I lost my temper with my wife. Pray for me because I, I looked at pornography this week. Pray for me because I'm, I'm selfish. And I didn't spell, spend time with my spouse this week or my kids. Pray for me because I'm self-absorbed. And you know what? Let me just tell you from firsthand sinning that, that I get self-absorbed. That's, that's one of my things that I struggle with. You know what? I, I decide I'm going to build a porch or even if I'm going to do a sermon, and I get so into that that I, I do it at the neglect of my wife. I do it at the neglect 
of my kids. I might even make myself so busy that I do it at the neglect of spending time with the Lord. And you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, you know what? Hey, Terry, I, I love my porch project more than I love you. Hey, kids, I love my, my sermon or my project more than I love you. You know what I'm saying to Jesus? Jesus, I'd rather spend time being busy than spending time with you because I love my busyness more than I love you. That's what the tax collector says when he goes to small group. He looks in himself and he's specific. The Pharisee talks in safe generalities because you know what? The, the Pharisee doesn't want people to know what he's really like. He or she wants people just to kind of think they're okay and they don't have any problems. And um, they're maybe even a little afraid to take a look at themselves too. Because they're afraid they may think differently about themselves and other people might think differently about themselves. And you know what? That leads them to a place where they're not in touch with their own sin. And you know... When it comes to accountability, what happens too? When the Pharisee goes to accountability time, the, the, the Pharisee says, well, how many times did you read your Bible? How many times did you read your Bible? And then they look at that performance and they decide from that performance whether or not you're growing or mature. The tax collector knows that it's not the performance, the number of times that you read your Bible. It's how well you read that Bible and how much it changes your heart. That's what matters. And so the tax collector even knows that the good things that he could be doing, reading his Bible seven days a week, if it's not in the right heart, it's just a matter of performance, then that isn't worthwhile either. It's done with the wrong motives. The Pharisee wants to make sure that the people in his small group know all the good things he does, so he talks to people about all the good things he does. But the tax collector knows that he's spiritually bankrupt. And he's not afraid to share his struggles specifically. Because the tax collector knows that he needs people to stand and come alongside him to help him with that struggle, to pray for him. And so he doesn't hesitate. And so here's my challenge to you. This week, I want you to be real. I want you to take a risk when you go to small group. I want you to take your inner tax collector to small group and talk about what you're really struggling with. I want you to talk about what's going on. Examine your heart and talk about what really matters. I want you to open your spiritual eyes so that Jesus can show you what needs to change. And so that way, the people in your small group can help you along that journey. They can support you. They can pray for you. And if you're not in a small group, then I want you to find somebody who you trust that can be there for you and do the same.
be there to encourage you on this journey that we're on. Okay. So I'm done beating you up, okay? Let's go on to verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You can write this down. God gives incredible, overwhelming grace to the humble. Jesus tells us the bottom line about which person God received their prayer of these two men. He also starts out with, I tell you. What Jesus is saying, he's, in the, he's, a, he's God. He's in a place to make that judgment call. And so he lets us know who's God heard, whose prayer it was the tax collector. God heard the tax collector's prayer, and the tax collector was justified. The pride and the contempt of the Pharisee disqualified him. But the humility of the repentant sinner, the tax collector, it justified him. Now, Jesus is the very one. In fact, he's the only one who could say this, because he is our justifier. And to be justified means more than being forgiven. Remember, it goes back to kind of what we talked about um, with uh, propitiation. It means that you're in good standing before God. You're in a new relationship with God. And so this sinner is now declared righteous. He has found the grace of God and it's the grace that he was given by God, not a grace that he created for himself by performing. His justification shows us that it's not dependent on what he looks like on the outside, his moral character, but is dependent on his heart, what's going on inside. So, um, Joe, can you come up here for a second? I hope you don't mind me doing this. But um, Joe, you're the, you're the tax collector. I want you to put on this mask. Okay? Let everybody see what you look like, okay? Okay, this nice, nice clean mask represents the tax collector, right? And you know what? Here's the Pharisee. The Pharisee wears this mask. And the Pharisee says, you know what? Um, boy, look at him. He's way more dirty. He must be more sinful than me. So you know what? I must be okay. I must be justified in what I do and what I'm doing. And um, I, I'm blind to something. I'm blind to the fact that when he looks at God, that's who he's looking at to compare himself, God's holiness. When I look 
I'm looking at him to decide if I'm holy or not. But you know what? He thinks about what God is looking at him, and God justifies him. In other words, Christ comes and covers his sin, and so he has... You want to put that one on? And so now, I guess that one should be bigger, yeah? <laughs> covered almost all my sins. Almost over all your sins. And so what happens is, is this is what we look like before God. So when we are justified by God, when God looks at us now, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our sin. Oh yeah, Joe has sin under there still, and he's working on it, right Joe? Yeah, it still shows a little. Still shows a little, right? But he's working on it. And he knows that when he stands before God, he stands justified. The Pharisee, he thinks he looks pretty good. But I don't know what you can tell, but this is, this is not white. This is, this is kind of dulled and brown. The Pharisee thinks he's okay. He thinks he's righteous because he's only looking at himself. But the Pharisee is not the one who walked away justified. Because when Jesus looks at the Pharisee, he says, you're the one who's the thief. You're the one who's a sinner. Thanks, Joe. All right, let's thank Joe for being a volunteer. And so that's the, the Jesus' lesson is this that it's the attitude of the heart that ultimately matters. And justification depends on the mercy of God for the repentant sinner rather than something we can earn. The reversal takes place because the Pharisee thinks that he's great. He exalts himself. But in this story, Jesus humbles him. The tax collector humbled himself before God and God forgave him justified him and exalted him. Um, through this parable, Jesus wants us to understand that our justification is on mercy alone. And he wants us daily to come before him and to pray and to pray, Father, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus is speaking to each one of us because of the, the little Pharisee that lives inside each one of us as well. We have a little Pharisee that wants to look like we have it together. Our little Pharisee inside us wants our family to look like we have it together. And even if your kids are a little bit older, they're teenagers or adults, um, our little Pharisee still wants even them to look like they have it together because it reflects on what we think we look like. But... Jesus wants us to look like the tax collector. He prefers that we look like the tax collector. And so I, I don't care when you are saved, but Jesus wants you to examine your heart. He wants you to put your head down. He wants you to beat your chest and think about what it is that's motivating your sin in your life. And he wants you to express sorrow for it and to admit it where it's coming from because you are a tax collector you are a sinner 
But because of that, Jesus comes along and he says, I love you and I forgive you. And so Jesus says, hey, tax collector, tax collector Joe, I hear your cry for mercy. And I love you. I forgive you. I covered your sin. I died for your sin. I died for your sin yesterday, and I died for your sin today. And you are righteous in my sight. You're righteous before God. You are a new creation. What I want you to do is to seek me. Look for me. Spend time with me. Abide in me. You're my child. I love you. And today is a new day. I don't care what happened yesterday. I love you. Get up. Let's start again. Come close to me. Because I have conquered sin. I have set you free from sin. And I have given you my incredible, overwhelming grace to face this day. Let's start again. And so, Jesus calls us to set aside pretending and performing. He calls us to, to realize who we really are, that we are sinners. But as we realize that that's who we are, he steps in to forgive us, not only to save us, but to forgive us and to cleanse us every day so that we can begin again to pursue him and our relationship with him because he wants to give us his incredible, overwhelming grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Christ who came, who came and realized that we were lost, that we were sinners. And I thank you for this parable that reminds us that we, we are lost people who need you. And Lord, we don't only need you so that we can be saved and become believers, but Lord, we need, we need you every day. We need your gospel to remind us every day that you died for every sin, everything that we did yesterday, everything we'll do today. And Lord, that it's okay to let that out and talk to other people about it so that, Lord, together we can pursue you, we can know you, we can strive to be more like your son. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just work in and through each one of our hearts as we surrender our lives to you. And, Father, I just pray that you would just continue to work in and through that to, to make a glorious name for your son because, indeed, he is the hero of our lives. He's the hero of our story, and we want to make much of him. And so, Lord, use whatever you decide in our lives to bring yourself great glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.